Hi everyone, I'm Wendy Muse, creator of the Left Pocket Project, which brings you the history of leftists of color, one swipe at a time. And this is the Left Pocket Project podcast. So I am happy to say that I finally updated the uh, Patreon page. I still have not updated the Facebook page yet, but I will be going back and doing that as soon as I have some free time. Um, But in the meantime, if you want to get all of the episodes, of course you can check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. But if you want to check out additional resources in addition to the podcast itself um, and or donate a dollar or more per month to help us keep things afloat on our end, um, you can go to patreon.com slash left POC. Again, that's patreon.com slash left POC. Um, yeah, so I'm updating a lot of things at the moment just because I had taken a long hiatus just being a bit overwhelmed by everything going on in my life, um, trying to take care of a child, trying to write dissertation work, trying to teach, etc. So I, I really, um, I needed a little break. Not to say that I really ever properly take breaks, but it was at least a break temporarily from podcasting. And now I'm back on that. Just as a reminder, I am doing Podmas. So I'm posting a new episode every night um, for the next, for this month, basically. Um, So I will end around Christmas time. I may go past that, but we'll see. I might be so exhausted at that point that I need another break <laughs> from just recording every night. It's a lot of work, um, but I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm having fun doing this. Um, also, as I mentioned, this week has been a lot of solo stuff because my daughter's been at home every day uh, with us for the past week or so because of a COVID scare at her school. Um, so they had to close the school and she had to stay at home for the week. So that's where we are with that. Uh, But she will be going back to school on Thursday, which we're really excited for because obviously she has fun at home, but she has more fun at school where she can hang out with her friends and, you know, play in a more, I don't know, kind of like, like structured way, if that makes sense. At home, it's kind of loose, like, but at school, she has more structured activities. I try to mimic those at home, but still, it's not the same thing. Like kids behave differently at home than they do at school sometimes. So she's one of those. Anyway, enough rambling. I'm going to get to the topic of the night, which is a little bit of a confession. It's like half confession, half, um, well, I'm just doing what a lot of people do. Um, (laughs) so I want to talk about trad wives. I am not a trad wife. Um, I don't ever plan on being a trad wife. Certain circumstances have made me fall into traditional gender roles, which were not necessarily uh, of my own volition or my choice, but it was kind of just the way things shook out. Um, But I actually, the confession I have about this is that I love, and I mean love, watching trad wife style YouTube and TV shows and stuff like that. You would be shocked. So it's kind of weird, right? I mean... 
for me to have my politics, um, <laughs> to be a communist, to be a feminist, all these things. And yet I have this fascination with trad wives. So to explain for people who may not know what trad wives are, it literally just means traditional wife. Um, it's a thing that kind of, it's always been a thing, right? So let's be honest, this idea of, you know, like Victorian era respectability, the noble wife, the woman who, you know, has, uh, resources economically and the luxury of being able to stay at home without having to work. Um, It's a highly racialized idea, um, you know, despite the fact that there are some women of color who who buy into this and participate in it. um, It's something that's primarily been about maintaining um, white womanhood and white purity. um, And that's why it became Uh, such a popular theme once again with the uptake of the alt-right because you saw quite a few women who were wives or girlfriends of these alt-right figures pushing this idea of being a trad wife. You also see quite a lot of trad wife content and by the way I recognize the overlap um, on evangelical Christian channels, um, some Jewish channels as well. I have not seen any Muslim trad wife shows or YouTube um, series, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. I'm sure they exist. Um, But I think the reaction to those might be a little different just because the way um, Muslim women, regardless of race, are racialized as others. Um, And white women typically, you know, are just seen as white women. Um, And regardless of what they do are kind of just accepted uh, by the greater culture um, as pure and perfect and and whatever. Uh, So, These women sort of fulfill that by presenting themselves as hyper-feminine, as quote-unquote refined, um, as having high tastes but not so high that they jeopardize their family's financial solvency. Um, They're not taking trips to Bali or, you know, going to take pictures at the Louvre. Uh, They may not even know what either of those things are because the whole point, of course, of being a trad wife is being traditional, right? So her focus is the home. She's a homemaker. Um, she doesn't have an outside job, perhaps other than promoting this lifestyle, um, which of course being a YouTuber is a job, but it's not seen as a job by these types who, who have, who technically hold this as a job. They may give their funds uh, that they raise through their YouTubing to their husband or something. So it's not recognized as a, as real labor, even though it is. Um, and, Oftentimes, just the style of dress um, is very traditional, you know, not showing too much skin. Uh, Sometimes even, you know, these women even take up like a 40s or 1950s aesthetic, the vintage style, um, vintage style hair, etc. Others dress like, you know, women nowadays do, except that everything is, you know, ironed and crisp and neat and... um, you know, cheery in color. They're not wearing like black and gray and stuff like that. So again, it's a very traditional kind of, um, lifestyle and look. They're expected to be happy at all times. Um, you know, sexually submissive to their husbands, willing and eager to have multiple children, um, you know, willing and eager to clean the house and cook and, do all of these things in terms of child rearing, uh, managing the household, but of course not managing the finances because that's the husband's job. Um, so yeah, anyway, this is the whole genre that I'm talking about. I am super fascinated by, um, trad wife content on YouTube. Um, you'll see it with people like Ben Shapiro's sister, who's a YouTuber, believe it or not. Um, 
There's a show called Girl Defined, which is like a group of, it's like two evangelical um, Christian women who are, I think are in their, they're like in their mid to late thirties now going on 40. Um, even though they still call themselves girls, but it's not really, they're not really girls anymore. Um, but the, the whole idea is to sort of foster this idea of like Judeo-Christian um, womanhood and girlhood that's pure, that's simple, that's um, like I said, you know, the things that I mentioned before, there are also more popular versions of this that you can see with like the Duggars, for example, or the Bates, um, on TLC. Those are both reality shows or I know the Bates, I think are still on, um, on TLC, but the Duggars of course have been canceled. Um, they no longer have a show on TLC, but it ran for many years and then they had a spinoff after, um, the older brother was, accused and prosecuted for, um, or I don't know if he was ever prosecuted initially, but now he's up for prosecution, um, in the downloading trafficking of, or downloading and proliferation of child pornography, um, as well as he himself having engaged in, um, sexual assault against minors, um, and against older women, although I don't think he was ever, up for prosecution for that, but he has been accused of raping, um, several women as well, um, who were adults. Um, but most, most, um, notoriously known for sexually abusing his own sisters, uh, when they were children and he was uh, a teenager. So anyway, that whole controversy kind of put the Duggars in hot water. They had a thus a spinoff that just focused on the girls who were the victims of their brother's crimes and like their life kind of turning it around and, and regrouping. But then even that spinoff kind of became, um, you know, just a rehashing of the regular Duggar show. Um, it wasn't about the girls so much anymore as it was the whole family. Um, and it was just kind of like, so the original show was called 19 Kids and Counting. Um, imagine it was like 19 Kids and Counting 2.0. Um, so that show was canceled this past year um, or at the beginning of this year. Uh, with the newer allegations that came out about Josh and sort of the family, at least the parents in particular, just coddling and protecting their son, despite very obvious and clear signs of a problem, um, him having a problem and also their family having a problem with regard to um, managing this crisis of sorts. So they were dropped by TLC, but TLC is always, um, you know, in search of other reactionary, hyper-traditional family structure shows. Um, so like I said, they had on the Bates, um, who were friends of the Duggars. Actually, I'm sorry, the Bates no longer are on TLC either, but they had a show or at least a spinoff for a minute somewhere. Um, this is a family that lives in Tennessee. They also follow the same kind of philosophy of like, don't use birth control, just have as many children as God can allow um, the woman's body to have, regardless of what it does to her health. <laughs> um, just kind of, this is a baby factory. You know, like the woman exists as a baby factory and that's her sole purpose, that and homemaking. And then the girls of the family become the parents of the family. Um, the boys, of course, are never laden with these sorts of cooking, cleaning, and child-rearing responsibilities, although they are expected to do things like home repairs and engage in traditional activities of their own, um, albeit, you know, with <laughs> the added bonus of having authority if and when they become uh, husbands and fathers themselves that the women the women lack. Um, so there was that show. There was also uh, 
there have been like several shows on TLC with regard to Mormons who engage in similar practices, often um, in cases of, of um, having polygamous marriages. Um, there was another show that I cannot keep think of the name of right now for anything. Um, but it was another show once again of a family that was, had multiple children and they were, um, kind of living off the grid, uh, very isolated, hyper Christian, hyper, um, you know, like far right Christian style family. There's a lot of this on TLC. It's like TLC is the stomping ground for these sorts of shows. Um, but YouTube is also a very interesting source of it. And lately what I have been getting super into is these sort of like DIY trad wife style shows um, because I have been, I think I mentioned in a previous episode of a pod of a Podmas episode, but um, that I've been really interested in lately watching people clean their homes <laughs> because I have not had time to clean my own to the degree that I would like to. I plan on doing that um, once school goes back for my daughter and then I can have, and I'll be done with teaching. So I'll have like full days to myself to clean, hopefully. Um, speaking of trad wives, but, <laughs> but I'm like, it's so much fun. It's like therapeutic to watch people clean their homes. Um, and I think through that, I found this, I mean, I don't even remember how I found the first one that I started watching. I think it was like, I was watching something related to, to parenting. And then the woman just so happened to have a video of herself cleaning, engaging what's in what's called disaster cleaning, which are the best, best, best videos, by the way. That's when their house is like a total mess, at least according to them. And they clean it, but they do it in like quick mode. So they show it like sped up. And it is so... It's so fun to watch. Like, I don't, <laughs> it could just be me, but I find it super interesting. So anyway, one of these women who's, um, who had a show, like an episode at least of her cleaning like that, she like cleaned her kitchen. Um, and I watched it and it was just so, it's so fascinating. And I think because their lives oftentimes are so different from my own, um, that it becomes, it's almost like watching people on another planet or like aliens or something, you know, because their life is just so foreign to my own in terms of their, um, their almost, you know, monk-like commitment to their household. And, um, not to say that I'm not devoted to my child, of course, because I very much am, but there's this kind of, it's almost like it's their identity, right? Like it's their identity solely to be a mother and to be a wife and to be like this person who makes the home what it is. And I recognize, to be clear, that a lot of this is, you know, for YouTube, right? YouTube is just like any other media channel or network. So these women are often putting forth an image of themselves that they think best represents what they stand for. And that can be highly edited. That can be, you know, highly curtailed to a specific audience. Um, you know, we're only seeing a fraction a minor, highly edited fraction of their day. Um, we have no idea what goes on beyond what we see in these, you know, 20 minute clips or so on average. Um, but it's, it's really fascinating, you know, like it, for me to watch, because I think, on the one hand, I'm I'm almost like I said disturbed by what they do and believe in, and many of them are right wing, of course, politically. But it's also, as I said, fascinating um, in this sort of almost voyeuristic way. Um, but at the same time, there's an element 
for myself where I feel like I want to live. It's like I'm living vicariously through their hyper cleanliness and hyper femininity and their like devotion to husband and family and home um, in a way that I just don't have the time or interest necessarily to do. So I think that's why I find it to be an interesting outlet for me. Um, and so anyway, lately I got into one, uh, I've been watching this woman who is, um, an Orthodox Jewish mother and she's a convert, which is like even more interesting. Um, she has a lot of, or seems to espouse, even though she's never upfront about it, but I think, you know, you can, if you read between the lines, you can figure out that she has some fairly conservative views, at least, um, you know, in terms of, uh, geopolitics and health and medicine and uh, social issues. I don't know how she feels about taxes and things like that, but it, I doubt that she's uh, very liberal on those issues. Um, and it's just kind of interesting to watch her because on top of her being, um, like I said, just this kind of homemaker and all this stuff and very much a trad wife, she's also Orthodox Jew. She's an Orthodox Jew, and so her her like everyday life is so bound up in a lot of these laws um you know traditional Jewish law that require they require a lot of attention to detail and things that I I mean the degree of detail that she has to pay to even the most basic things like wiping down her kitchen washing her dishes or washing her hands um it makes every day and all day, it turns her entire life into this sort of ritual. And so it's been interesting to kind of watch her, um, engage in this, especially as someone who's a convert. So she's, she's not been doing this her whole life. She decided she made the choice to do this with her life. Um, and it's just kind of fast. It's fascinating to me. Um, because I just cannot, I'm not sure how women do these things without like, having a mental break a day, right? Um, because there's so many rules and there are so many, um, like I said, rituals and norms that they have to follow. And, um, and this also goes for, I mean, not to quite the same degree, but obviously, you know, evangelical Christians and people like that have a similar set of, um, I don't want to say laws because it's not quite laws, but they have these, these sort of what they call values and like social mores that they live in constant fear of breaking, um, Mormons similarly. Right. And, and it's just fascinating. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm very, um, intrigued, uh, don't envy it at all, but I find it intriguing this, um, absolute, you know, devotion to, to these elements of their lives and the ritualization of it all, because it requires deep, scheduling and memorization and routine that the average person who doesn't follow these practices just wouldn't be willing to devote necessarily to their everyday lives. Um, and I also found myself wondering, you know, people who have anxiety or, um, OCD or perhaps both, how do they manage within family structures like that, that are so highly, routinized and rigid, um, and law based or rule based. Um, I wonder what kind of burden that poses for people who are already suffering from, um, mental illness that 
causes them to be hyper detailed or worried or obsessive about certain things. Um, you know, I, and, and women in general, like when we, when we have children that always, or not always, but often will change our, um, our way of looking at the world, right? Our way of doing things and sometimes makes us, turns us into people who worry a lot more, or who have more anxiety or even depression um, based on some of the just magic of, of creating a baby and birthing one um, that definitely changes a lot of stuff in your body, a lot of stuff in your brain um, and the hormones that are rolling, you know, like while you're in the process of, of carrying a child and giving birth and raising that child. I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on. And so I can't imagine on top of having that stress and the, the many things that come with, with being a parent and a mother in particular because of those physical and psychological connections with the child. But then on top of that, having all these other stressors, if you will. Um, and it's other people could say like, Hey, you know, they like the ritualistic aspect of it because it's at least one part of their life that they can control or so they think, right. Um, the idea being here that being a mother often presents many, um, obstacles and unexpected ones. You can't really plan as much. You can't have, um, the same social life. You can't do as many things as you used to. Your life almost entirely revolves around this being for the first few months of their life, if not more. And so, um, having a routine might offer, uh, a sort of break to the otherwise chaotic aspects of being a mother. But at the same time, like I said, it's just a lot to worry about. I'm like, there's already so much on my plate. I cannot imagine having all these other things I would have to do all day. Um, just to like, I don't know, go to heaven or be closer to God or whatever. It's it's just a lot. And yeah, but like I said, that's why I think I'm so fascinated by them. I'm not as fascinated in the um, non-religious trad wives. Like, of course, some of them are Christian or whatever, but I'm not super interested in the ones who just do it because they're like fash aligned. Um, but I am interested in the ones that do it because they have... Uh, some sort of reason according to their belief system, uh, their religious belief system to, to follow these rules and um, expectations of them as women. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, on the one hand, that lifestyle looks almost, I mean, uh, uh, it, for me, speaking solely for myself, it would be horrendously oppressive for me. But at the same time, I find myself looking at my own life and looking at the lives of many women who have children, who also have some sort of job or jobs, plural, who are engaged in other activities, some of them personal, some of them professional. Um, they may have one or more children who, uh, you know, are varying ages. They are married, so they have, you know, things that they do for their spouses um, or to help their spouses with just like their everyday lives. And then they have a household to manage. And I'm just thinking to myself, like this, <laughs> this is almost another form of oppression that we chose, right? Like we, we live in a society where we're encouraged to be very much in the workforce, regardless of your gender or um, parenthood status, right? If you're a mother or not, you're expected to work. Um, and, you know, and just sort of reassessing my own desires around work and my understanding around work after having a child, especially in a pandemic, it makes me really think about like, 
who's the oppressed ones here? Are we not all oppressed, right? Like, are we not all kind of living under, um, under the thumb of our social issues, our, our systemic issues, our family pressures and societal pressures? It's, there's nothing that's so neat and clean, like we're free of this, right? Um, as mothers who are not part of this trad wife identity, um, if you will, we still have our own sets of issues that we're grappling with that the society has set up for us as barriers. The fact that we don't have reliable childcare in this country that's that's low cost and the fact that childcare workers themselves are not paid well and um, given the right, you know, the need, the benefits that they need. And um, the fact that, you know, cost of living is so high, cost of healthcare is so high, cost of even food and basic needs are so high, is so high. And that we don't have that social safety net that I always talk about that we need. And, you know, we're, we're looking at a similar layer of pressures, albeit those that we did not necessarily choose. Right. Like I had a child and I think that there were certain things about the way the society responds to um, parenting that I wasn't expecting that I kind of loosely knew about, but that I think after I became a parent, I recognized with even greater intensity and that I focused more on, um, and saw as, as problems. Right. Um, but I think even beyond that, if you're not a parent and you're, you're living this life, especially as a woman, I'm just going to be quite frank, right. If you're a woman or, um, you know, someone who's, who's seen as, um, female by others, there's always this layer of expectations that we're told we must meet. Those vary by, uh, race, of course, as well, and age. But even for women who don't have children, the expectations and the, the judgment that falls upon them when they make a choice that they have the right to make, right? Like, not everyone has to have a child. No one should feel obligated to have a child, uh, and, and women who choose not to have children are like doing their own thing and they're allowed to do that. And that's fine. Like there should be no, just because the person <laughs> is a female, they should not feel obligated to have children. Men are never, never forced into that kind of, uh, forced into those kinds of pressures, right? They're never having, they never have to deal with those kinds of pressures. Maybe in some cultures they're expected to get married and have children, but for the most part, even then those pressures are different for them, uh, than they are for women. And I think part of that is just about biology too. And the, the idea that, you know, we have to have a baby before 30 or before 35 or before 40 or whatever. And there are all these pressures and concerns about our children having birth defects or mental issues or whatever, if we're, if they're born, uh, when we're a certain age. And I remember, you know, when I went to the doctor, uh, to do like the genetic testing early on, and then we go to, you have to go to a genetic counselor just to kind of talk about risks and what could happen at your age and blah, blah, blah. Because I had my baby, um, when I was in my mid thirties, this idea that, you know, <laughs> you, I, th I think this very, very popular idea that like after 35, if you have a kid, they're going to have like birth defects or have mental, mental issues or whatever is so 
I mean, it's so ridiculous, guys. Like when you look at the chart, the chart actually says something like you don't really have a high risk for those sorts of things until like after like 40 something. It's not even the age of 40. It's like after 42 or 43 when the likelihood goes up in terms of having a child with uh, birth defects or chromosomal issues or whatever. And even then it's very slight. It's like a, you know, the <laughs> a few percentage points. It's not like if you have a child at 40 that you're guaranteed to be looking at hundreds of years of like medical bills and special treatment and things like that because your child has issues. That's literally not the case. But our society makes us feel that way. Like we don't have a kid the second we jump out of high school that, but of course don't have one while you're in high school, God forbid, right? But if you don't have one the second you're out of high school or out of college, um, and of course within the boundaries of marriage, that if you don't do those things, there's something wrong with you. And the sad part is, even if you follow all of those things, you're still going to be judged for just being a woman and existing and being a mother and existing. There are always going to be societal pressures on, on women, whether they're mothers or not, and regardless of age. So all of that to say that whenever I watch these like hyper-traditional family type shows or mother type shows, I'm always compelled to ask myself, is it that her life or their lives are so different from my own in terms of the restrictions that are placed on them, if not by their immediate family, by their husbands, by their spiritual community, then in our case in particular by the society, right? Like if, if it's not just these communities that we choose, it's the communities that we're forced to live in and be judged by because we live in like, you know, the United States or whatever, or we're to fill in the blank country, right? Um, it's also interesting just to sort of think about this discussion as we've been having so much debate about abortion and abortion rights and if those will be curtailed by the Supreme Court. Um, you know, I have never had an abortion. I know many people, however, who have. Um, and I support the right uh, of abortion. I think it's something that is um, particularly necessary in, in certain cases, definitely. Um, you know, I'm kind of I, I want to make this clear that like, I'm not one of those people who judges on why you have an abortion or whatever. People have abortions because they have their own reasons. But I think that what needs to be said with this and what I've always advocated for is that we have to also acknowledge that many, 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 many women are making these, are making the choice to have an abortion because of, um, health issues and primarily because of financial issues, right? They look at the situation and they say, this pregnancy, whether planned or not, is not a cost that I can bear. It is not something that I can afford. It is not something that I have the time, energy, and especially money to sustain. And that to me is indicative, not just of the need for people to have the right to have an abortion, but also, and most importantly, I think the need for us as a society to put forth the resources for women, regardless of their economic background, to be able to have children if they want to have children. I guess my point is that it is unfair in my eyes for anyone to be feel forced to have to have an abortion because of their financial state. That to me is like, 
a harrowing indictment of our society, right? Um, and the problems with a society that does not care about the child once he or she is out of someone's body, right? Once that baby is born, it's as if they no longer matter. They can starve to death for all we care in this country. Um, you can have hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical debt. We will not support you. If your child has health issues, we will not support you. Oh, if your child needs to be educated, we're not going to support that either. We're going to de defund all of your schools. and But we're going to make sure that we fund police officers that will happily hunt down your children and kill them. Um, these sorts of things happening all at once are not lost on me, right? And so when I think about you know, abortion rights and things like that. I want to keep them. Uh, and there's no, but there, like, there's not a, I want to keep them, but it's, a, I want to keep them. And right. I want to keep abortion rights. I want to keep abortion legal in this country. And I think we ought to make sure that as another side of this fight, that we recognize that it is not at all removed from a larger discussion about social safety nets, about having proper health care and health care that is affordable, if not free, about having, um, you know, support from the government when you have a child and having that need of, of that need that goes like all the needs that go with child rearing met, regardless of your financial background and status. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's amazing. Like if you look at other countries, it, <laughs> many times they act as if they want their citizens to have children, right? They want their populations to grow. They want their populations to be sustained by the government and through taxation, right? That's what it's there for, right? And so if you look at, and I'm not just talking about Nordic countries, by the way, these like sort of fictitious, perfect places in some people's minds. I'm talking about even the quote unquote third world countries or quote unquote developing countries that still do more than the average American uh, local or federal government will do to support families and support raising children. Um, I can think of many off the top of my head where you go and if you have a child and your husband dies, or if you don't have a husband, you can get significant support to help take care of your child. The school system is good and they can go to public school. You have free health care for yourself and your child whenever you need it. If you're in a situation where your husband, you are married and your husband dies, you receive money from the government to help you take care of yourself and your child. These things are and should be the norm everywhere. Um, they're basically the norm everywhere except for the U.S. pretty much, but they should be the norm here too. And I think if we saw a society and a government that actually cared about children and that actually cared about families and that actually cared about these supposed traditional values, if you will, we wouldn't be looking at quite the same, um, or we wouldn't, we wouldn't be, I don't think we'd be looking at at the same number of abortions. And we certainly wouldn't be having this debate in the way that it's framed right now, as if it's a matter of choice and if it's a matter of protecting life, because it's really neither of those things in quite the, the way that we think of it. How much of a choice is anything if it's made within uh, an environment of duress, in a moment of duress, right? If someone is making that decision because they can't afford to raise their child, how much of a choice is that? 
especially if it's someone who wanted to have that child, right? This is not the case for everyone and not the majority, of course. I don't, you know, I don't know the exact numbers on um, reasons given by people that they decide to have abortions. Um, but I know for sure that a big component from what I have seen in passing, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know for sure that in many cases it's about finances. And if you look at the numbers in particular when they break down by race, you'll notice that proportionately there's quite a large group of black and Latina women. I know there's overlap there, so forgive me for these sort of raw um, data categories. But they break down the numbers and they show that black and Latina women are disproportionately represented within the group of women who have abortions. And you can't help but look at that and think about the fact of the matter of the economic inequality that black and Latina women face in this country also at disproportionate numbers and consider whether or not those choices that we are making as women in the society, as people in the society who are going into the process of having children, if we are able to make them regardless of these these sorts of other factors, these demographic factors, if we're able to make them in the society with the the basic uh, standard that we will have support if we do decide to go through with having a child. I mean, it's almost, unless you're rich, there is no safety net. There's nothing, there's nothing that we would call support. And people make it work. That's not to say that, that people don't use the system um, to their advantage to help them in moments like this. But the bureaucracy of it all, the layers of it all, the difficulty of it all is unreal. I mean, it's not like anything I've ever seen in other places. And I think that that, that all of those additional complications just make the prospect of having a child even less and less positive, right? Like you don't, who would want to have a child in this kind of environment where there's very little, if any, support where you're antagonized from systems all around you, whether it's housing, medicine, um, or like healthcare, schooling, jobs. Um, why would you want to bring a child into this environment if you know that you're not going to receive any support unless you already have some sort of uh, financial backing? Why would you do it? Why would you risk that? Why would you risk, for example, bringing a child into a home that's abusive or that's also already having financial stress um, and that perhaps the abuse is related to financial stress, right? Why would you bring a child into a home that you don't know if, if you or your family, other additional family members can offer support if you could have childcare in that family, if you could have someone to safely watch your child while you go to work, if you would even have leave when you have your child. Is that going to be guaranteed? Are you going to have an area to pump? Are you going to have a place to breastfeed your child? Are you going to have a place to bring your child to work if you have to in case of an emergency, right? So there's so many factors that go into this. And I think that if we were truly a society committed to rights of both choice and life, we would be considering what it means to have a social safety net and what it means to make a decision about becoming a parent in, an, in a time, in a moment, in a, in a place without any semblance of support. It's, you know, you can choose to have the child and bring it into the world with no support, or you could, and that could be your, your adherence to recognizing the, the quote-unquote life part, but then what is life if you have no support, right? If you have no, no, um, 
like no help in raising your child, what kind of childhood is that child going to have? So is that really life in, in the way we think of it as a positive? And, and on the matter of choice, as I've already sort of illuminated here, is it choice if it's being made outside of it, this vacuum? It's not a vacuum, right? We're making this, this choice out of duress in some cases, right? And could that duress be alleviated in some way? And would that change the way we think about what it means to be pro-choice? Then perhaps we can say we are truly pro-choice because we will be making a choice not in a state of duress and not on the basis of not having the financial support to, to support a child, right? It's, it's a, it has a different meaning then. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's always for me, like I said, I'm, I'm pro-choice and, right? I'm pro-choice and I think we need to do a lot more to, um, you know, make sure that we have all of our other ducks in a row for people if they decide to have children, and we also, even beyond that decision, need to have our ducks in a row in terms of reproductive rights as a whole. Are people given the right to tubal ligation? Are people given the right to vasectomies? Are people given the right to abortion? Are people given the right to uh, health care and education around sexuality and sex um, and family planning and all these things, right? Like we're missing so many components in the society where nothing is being truly made as just kind of a bare choice, but as something that's being made with a lack of knowledge, um, with a lack of support. And, and it doesn't always have to be that way on either side. So, wow, this turned into something that I really wasn't planning on it to be. Um, but I just find it interesting that, you know, I've, <laughs> I don't know, it, it wasn't supposed to be about abortion at all or about like reproductive rights. Um, but yeah, I guess it just kind of ended up that way because if you look at like the trad wife situation, a lot of them will have like 20 kids and many of them are on food stamps and other forms of um, social welfare. And yet they are the ones voting against uh, the rights of people who are poor to have those needs met and to have a social safety net. It's really, it's all just one big irony, um, but kind of a mess. So they're like, I don't know. I think that they're, they're an interesting bunch they all come from slightly different angles in their trad wifery. Um, but I find them fascinating, even though I find myself sort of being diametrically opposed to what they do. And I guess, yeah, this is how I'll close. I guess my main point is that um, that intrigue, that fascination, that even uh, curiosity, right, is one that if flipped on its head, I recognize that could be said about our own lives and how they are also restricted and how what we see ourselves as, um, you know, being able to make a choice about or have the freedom to do is still restricted within our society by these social mores, social norms and gender norms, among others, that limit our ability as parents, as women, as mothers um, to be truly free <laughs> in the way that we think it's all I guess my my question is like is is this concept of freedom or choice or whatever all just a facade and do the trad wives in the act of engaging in these things intentionally show us that choice and freedom means something else and can operate on a different plane I don't know lots of thoughts lots of questions anyway I hope you all have an amazing night and enjoy the rest of your day. It's already like 
five minutes till 12. So this is going to get posted a little bit late. So my apologies. Uh, but yeah, just some thoughts and maybe some things that I'll have some guests on later on to talk about in particular, when we think about, you know, socialist feminism or communist feminism and these ideas around, uh, you know, abortion rights and parenting and family and what those things look like uh, with within a Marxist or communist type of feminism um, and, and how it's a much more, it involves a much more holistic approach than what we are dealing with now, which is sort of like the liberal feminism that has a lot of shortcomings um, and that I think I'm often critical of here and elsewhere. So... With that said, everyone have a great night. Take care of yourselves and make sure, um, as I reminded you in the beginning, to check out other episodes of the podcast and other goodies over on the Patreon page. And you can do that for free, by the way. So you don't have to donate to see those things. Everything is, you know, pay paywall free. So there's no paywall. Um, but if you would like to donate, of course, you can take the opportunity to do that over there as well. That's patreon.com slash left POC. So yeah, thanks everyone. Have a good night. Bye-bye.